0: Welcome everyone to the 84th episode of the New Gen Mindset podcast. I'm Dan Cosell here with uh, Nick Tartaglia. What's up, Dan? Um a lot, man. There's a lot of movement in the marketplace right now that's not getting talked about. Um earnings are on the decline. Mm-hmm. Um you know, First Republic Bank was down like 49%. Um deposits are shrinking, you know, bank crisis, all this crazy stuff. And the chart that just keeps amazing me every single day now is gold. Yeah. Um, simply because every time it hits that 2000 level, it bounces back down. Miners are moving now. A lot of the junior names, shout out to uh, you know Delta Resources, if you're listening. I mean, Nick and I have been in that name since November. And it's just an example of like where this market is right now. But man, it, it's it's been interesting to see sort of this yeah. whole macro theme unfold that we've been talking about for the last two years.
1: Yeah, exactly. And right now we're like on a sideways... Kind of like a sideways pattern where you can tell that the most people, they seem to want to be excited that they want to get back into risk on assets. But the general market still kind of is giving you a sense that like they don't really know where things are heading. So, you know, that's why you're kind of getting this sideways movement. Overall, you have a lot of unemployment. Some tech companies have good earnings. Some don't. You know, so it's like, where where's the Fed at? Do they want to increase a little? Do they want to do a big jump? Although that's on, I feel like that's very unlikely. Will they start? Will they reverse that trend? So there's a lot of little, still things that are still uncertain that need to be figured out and kind of answered before I feel like we have a real sense of direction in some of these indices or some of these specific uh, assets.
0: Yeah, and um, you know, FOMC is coming up soon, so that's going to dictate what's happening. Um, Market is pricing in probably a rate pause or rate increase. I mean, I don't yes, even know, you know at this exactly. point, but whatever the two years is doing, that's what's going to happen. But, um, we, we want to keep it. We wanted to keep the conversation going just on the macro stuff that's been happening. And, uh, you know, our, our guest here, he, he's got quite the resume. Um, and you know, we met with this gentleman in Vancouver, um, big on deal flow, private placements and whatnot too. So that's really interesting. It's funny. I was talking to a, uh, uh, the CEO of a, of a phosphate company this morning. And he goes, Dan, you have no idea how hard it is to raise money in this market. And I'm like, but you still did it anyways, right? It's finding that extra liquidity that people have, Nick, that you and I have been talking about. But um, yeah, um, this gentleman, he's a former counterterrorism officer uh, for the CIA and Department of Defense and has had an independent analytical outlook On a lot of things. He's volunteered and served two hours, uh, two tours, excuse me, to Iraq and Afghanistan from 2006 to 2009, and conducting pattern analysis mapping for the US intelligence community in Washington, DC. Um, Drawing upon his investigative background, he turned attention to the financial markets in the early 2000s and mapping shares similarities with technical analysis of the financial markets because both involve the observation and interpretation of patterns found in human behavior. Um, He holds a degree in business Uh, and History with Advanced Department of Defense Training in Intelligence Analysis. And he's currently with the iGold Advisor Group, iGoldAdvisor.com. Welcome to the New Gen Mindset
1: Podcast, uh, Christopher Aaron.
2: Gentlemen, so glad to be here with you today. Thank you.
1: No problem. So Christopher, first thing, just start off the podcast. We'd like to get to know you a little. So can you just talk a little bit about your past obviously it's interesting to see someone from such an interesting background obviously transition over into the finance world and the macro perspective of things so obviously you know talk about that too just so we get a sense of how that how your philosophy shifted over into this world
2: yeah thank you for the opportunity to share that um you know my background my my career out of college was uh in the intelligence world i spent a year and a half at cia headquarters i also worked at another intelligence agency, one of the lesser known mapping agencies. You know, I was part of the 9-11 generation. I was in college when the the attacks happened on the Twin Towers. And so it was very formative in my upbringing. Uh, You know, when I graduated from university, I felt like I wanted to fight the good fight in the same way that my grandfather did. He was in Europe. He was stationed in Europe during World War II with the military police. Uh, And, you know, so this was my opportunity as I saw it. And so, uh, you know, I pursued this path in the intelligence world, uh, got to serve two tours to Afghanistan and Iraq. And I really had my eyes open while I was overseas that the uh, what we were being told both from the media and from the political structure, the military and political structure was not what I was observing with my own eyes, you know, from my first deployment in 2006 to my second deployment, which ended in 2009, there was a loss of control in certain areas of Afghanistan. I could clearly see, I was in my 20s at the time, and I could clearly see that we were losing control of Afghanistan. There were certain bases in Kandahar and the southern provinces of, of Afghanistan that we had lost control of, that we formerly had control of several years ago. So I could see that the direction of the wars was, was going downhill. Uh, and I said to myself, is this really what I want to be doing with the rest of my life, um, you know, to engage in this, in this type of career field? Somewhere along the way, uh, in that window, my eyes were opened to the realities of the important link between warfare and the markets, and especially the precious metals and the resource markets, which is that warfare, unwinnable, perpetual warfare is only possible in the era of fiat currency as it exists, especially since 1971. Uh, We know that when you go back to study the Roman Empire and some of the previous empires that have decayed throughout time, one of the key facets of the declines of these empires is when these governments began to literally debase their coinage by shaving parts of the coins down to create new coins to what? Pay the mercenaries to carry out the wars on the frontiers. And then when the when the mercenaries realize that the coinage really has been debased and lowered in value, they say, wait a minute, you're not really paying us anymore. And they turn on the empire that was once... Uh, uh, paying them, so um, you know, while I was overseas myself, it it really dawned on me, through a, a combination of my own analysis, but also through uh, some grace, to to have my eyes opened that what I was participating in was really causing more problems, both politically, humanitarian standpoint, but also economically, uh, and and I, I simply said, okay, what is it that I could apply these skills to from someone who was you know engaged in briefing military commanders, briefing uh, political leaders as to the situation on the ground. And, and so I launched my service here in 2015 with the goal of briefing investors, what is it that you need to know about the markets from an intelligence standpoint? So let's not worry about 50 uh, uh, you know random details that are happening on the ground. What are the one, two, three points that you need to know of what is happening in the markets right now? And I feel like that is a way that, uh, you know, we can all go forward and increase our power, increase our sovereignty as individuals compared to what I was doing in the past. Mm
0: -hmm. It's so fascinating, uh, especially coming from a military background to, you know, I think the biggest topic, I don't know how much you want to dive into this, but there's this whole idea of the military industrial complex being really the driver of pretty much funding these wars, right? And I'm not saying the United States is a bad country. That's all what I'm saying. However, there is a part perhaps uh, that has been in the shadows for quite some time right now. So is it fair to say and I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on this? Is it fair to say that during that time that you were, you know, deployed in Afghanistan and again, I admire anybody that's served in the military. I know I'm Canadian, but thank you for your service for being for being an American.
1: <laughs> you everything you guys do actually benefits us in a way. Yeah. So, so, so so my qu- yeah. my, my question
0: my question is my question is, you know, what at what point in your life did you really start seeing that this entire thing was just to fund that whole military industrial complex. And like, what, what, what's your take on that?
2: I'll tell you, it actually goes back to before uh, my, my deployments to Afghanistan. It goes back to 2005, sort of uh, when I was training and preparing for those deployments. Um, actually, based on my observations of, of uh, some of the activities that were happening socially in, in my circle, Let's say in 2005 in Washington, D.C., as a relatively new graduate from college, this was in the midst of the housing bubble in the United States, the prelude to the global financial crisis in 2008. And I remember being a 24, 25-year-old in Washington, D.C. on an entry-level government salary, you know, having to live with three roommates just to make ends meet. Uh, I remember going into work and speaking with colleagues and having them say things with this sort of you know, robotic look on their eyes, this sort of uh, crazy look on their eyes, that was we just need to buy condos. If we can just buy condos, they're going to double and triple in value over the next few years. And then we will all be rich, right? And and so people that didn't have enough money to even rent an apartment on their own were trying to find ways to buy condominiums and townhomes in Washington, DC. This was actually the beginning of, of sort of waking up for me. And I didn't know how it was all related at the time. It actually took me another couple of years to piece that together, the, the speculative bubble that led up to the global financial crisis with how that, how that relates to uh, you know, the modern era of, of central banking and fiat currency, which are basically the enablers of those financial manias. So you know, I, I saw it with my own eyes in 2005. And I just remember going home from work on a couple of days and saying, something is wrong with this if it's so easy to just become wealthy, that all you have to do is buy real estate and just wait for a few years, and then it doubles and triples in value, then everyone would be wealthy, you know, there'd be nothing, no work that anyone needs to do. Uh, and, and we all just take the easy street to retirement, right? Um, that was that was the first big one for me. And, and then Similar to probably most of the listeners here, that leads one to a study of, of the root cause. and you know and it, and it leads you down a rabbit hole a little bit as far as one's own education, where you eventually arrive at, at the study of central banking. Uh, that's where it leads, you know and, and you learn about the history of fiat currencies, you learn about the manipulation of interest rates and banking reserves. Um, And all of a sudden, the light bulb goes on, right? Uh, So for me, this was around 2007, where all of a sudden I became aware of of how these financial manias were related to central banking, which eventually leads one to uh, part of the solution, which is currencies which cannot be controlled by the banking institutions or the central banks. And of course, that one that leads one to precious metals. In the modern era, we also have compete, competing currencies in, in uh, cryptocurrencies. But, but that's, that's where it leads. When one takes that path and, and your consciousness gets funneled as to the root cause of what you guys just mentioned before, yes, the military-industrial complex, but also the financial manias, mm-hmm. also the bank bailouts, everything that we've seen here over the last number of years the enabler of all that is is central banking and the uh, the fiat currency
1: yeah cuz if you didn't have if you didn't have such so much freedom to manipulate your currency well i mean the industrial complex would have a very hard time to kind of profit off of a war in in a very what i would say a, not a very good economic environment where theoretically you're supposed to be lowering your money supply supposed to be paying off debt And going back to the basic roots to improve your economy. But instead, you can kind of take that away from the individual and then kind of like expand the money supply and, and kind of flow economic energy to these complexes that can then go outside the nation and play these games. And you kind of perpetuate this conflict and this like fear. And, you know, you take advantage of your own people that way, which you see throughout history. They kind of do it all the time. Distract your people with this distract or uh, distract with uh, some sort of political issue or distract with an external conflict and then because you have this central authority with this central banking system well you can just you kind of like uh it's a free-for-all after for them
2: exactly right and, and i take it actually uh to the next level nick which is really to say uh there is a humanitarian even one could say a spiritual uh battle that sort of underlies this whole thing from those who are trying to steal wealth, which what is wealth, you know, what is, what is money? It's, it's simply crystallized energy, you know, energy in, in portable form, human energy, from those who are trying to steal our energy from us to try to suppress our potential as uh, human beings, as creatures with a divine spark in us here for some very important reason. You know so I, I take it to that level. But, but I'm also not a doom and gloomer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I think this is where some people, when they get into this, they take one wrong turn, which is to feel like uh, it's woe is me. They're coming after us. They're going to get us. So let's just hide in our yeah. holes over here. No, the fact that they are trying to suppress, if you will, our potential. Through these mechanisms of bailouts and inflation and fighting unwinnable wars, which is basically a a double tax, you know, because it taxes the people on one side to pay for it. And then it'd be one thing if they're just going to tax you, but then they then blow up people on the other side of the planet with the proceeds of that tax. So it's a double negative, a double inflationary policy. But just to come back to the point I wanted to make, um, I do not see this as as woe is us uh, they're coming to get us because you have to think about it. If there's one group that is trying to suppress or stop another group, who is it that has the power?
1: The, well, the central authority. Well, well
0: it's, I think. I think. I think it's the people. The people have right. the big. The people are the biggest threat to the central
2: yes, authority. Yes,
1: if they're so. aware of it,
2: that is. That is it. That's exactly it. Yep. And and so we collectively have the power individually and collectively, and that is what they are trying to suppress. So yes, combination of uh, you know educating people on these policies, educating people on solutions to it, as well as, as taking individual actions to protect ourselves and our families so that as individuals, as investors, we can live the best version of our lives yeah. to have resources to then help other people along the way. Uh, you know, that's what they don't want. So, so the challenge for us is to thrive and succeed in spite of that baloney. Mm.
1: So when you, so in knowing all these things that you kind of had this realization and obviously with your background, where you obviously enjoy human nature and studying human nature, and I guess you kind of overlap with history and you see these these human dynamics to create these patterns that cycle throughout history. And then I guess this is where it leads you down to this path where you start saying, okay, well, there's a certain asset class that I can kind of spend my time studying those na- those dynamics, and that nature, and to kind of also at the same time reap a certain benefit from it from a financial standpoint. And this, I guess, where you kind of got into precious metals and gold, because it kind of intertwines with human nature and and human psychology and societal psychology and societal nature. And um, so it's interesting the way you see kind of transition, you build into this point. Totally totally
2: right. I mean, if there's one market in the history of humankind, which is the most emotional market, you know, the longest dated market, um, collectively, it holds so much potential but also mystique and also misunderstanding, it's gold. Uh, And so I find it fascinating to study the gold market as a a solution to a lot of these ills that plague us as a society. Uh, But then there was another part of my own education. Actually, it was back in 2008. Uh, I mentioned that part of my awakening was sort of 2005. And then my first deployment in 2006, seeing a lot of these financial and military problems. And then the, a lot of the people that I was listening to at that time, 2006, 2007, who were preaching gold, who I myself learned from back in those decades, they were totally blindsided by what happened in the crash of 2008. And, you know, for anyone who has sort of just uh, begun to participate in the markets here over the last five to 10 years, if you did not get the chance to participate in that crash of 2008, I mean, it was it was something to live through because the you know, those people who correctly understood the problems that we are talking about now, they were really blindsided or flat footed by how even the precious metals gold could get taken down in the global financial crisis. Silver especially could get taken down in the global financial crisis. And then a lot of the mining equities, I'm not joking, from July of 2008 through November of 2008, this was a four to five month window in there. A lot of these companies fell by 95 percent in value in that crisis you know the declines that happened in a lot of the the uh mining equities were much greater than even you know if you were sitting in uh apple stock or uh you know ibm uh stock and and so what i learned through that experience was it's not enough to simply understand the fundamentals because you can be right on these fundamentals But the market can move opposite you for irrational reasons, illogical reasons, margin calls, uh, fill in the blank, you know, central bank selling, Mm -hmm. manipulation. Yes, all of the above. But those are real facets that happen in real everyday life. And so, unless we pay attention, I mean, it's 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 wonderful, and we must understand the big picture to keep our resolve over the long term of our careers. Uh, but it's not enough for success to simply understand those fundamentals. You have to pay attention to what the market is actually doing in a real world, meaningful time frame. Which, where that comes back, is the charts. You pull up a chart, and it contains the sum of all the fundamentals from all the people who are thinking about buying or selling, who already have bought or sold, who may buy or sold for a million different reasons, all those people have to come together at the current price of the asset. And so, you know, in my own education, uh, it was simply to say, we, we understand the fundamentals, we embrace the fundamentals, but on a more day-to-day, real-world, meaningful time frame, we have to focus on what the the markets are actually doing, or else we can basically get clobbered. It's like getting run over by an irrational stampede. D- do you want to be right? Do you want to sort of sit on your high horse and say, hey, these people are being irrational. They're all running in the wrong direction away from an imaginary boogeyman. Sure, fine. That's right. But you're still going to get stampeded anyway, and you can really get damaged in that. No.
0: It's, it's really fascinating because, you know, I'm always just having a flashback of you explaining sort of your epiphany of, you know, how the whole system is set up. I think for me personally, and maybe Nick, you can kind of attest to it was really during COVID Um, that was like the accelerator I found, Mm -hmm. honestly, off the record, whoever's listening after the first two months that we were in COVID, I knew that this entire thing was just another, I hate to say this, it was another 9-11 moment, right? Putting more restrictions onto people. um, You know, fear as their tool to do it. Exactly. Like 9-11, it was like, hey, they're going to heighten security screening at the airports. fantastic. Great. Now you have to wait another hour and a half, just get through the plane. COVID, it was like, now they're like trying to test people's ability to stay within these confines of, 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 of like, you know, security or whatever, security, I'm putting it like in parentheses. So I guess what I'm trying to say is like, when you see stuff like that happening and you try to explain that to people that are close to you, right? They kind of look at you like you're a little bit crazy. What's it really going to take for people to actually say, holy crap, like, why haven't we done this sooner? Why don't, why don't we prevent this sooner rather than later?
2: Yeah. It's, it's really important to remember, I, I want to draw the analogy from my own time with the military, um, <clears throat> that even though the direction of the military, the direction of the wars and sort of the facilitators of the wars, as we discussed, was, was wrong. It, it was ill-intentioned, I believe, ultimately, and, and it really took the world in the wrong direction from a security and humanitarian standpoint, even though that is all true, as we discussed. Uh, I worked with a lot of really well-meaning individuals, a, a lot of uh, soldiers who were really patriotic, a lot of soldiers who really believed in freedom and who wanted more security and more peace in the world, and and they were trying their best to achieve that. And I draw an analogy to what we've seen here with COVID over the last few years, mm-hmm. where um, Look, is there, you know, was there a virus out there? Sure. Was it dangerous and and did it kill some people? Yes. Uh, Are there always viruses out there that will always kill people? Yes. Um, Was, you know, was the ultimate uh, goal at some point along the way uh, usurped by certain individuals uh, who desire to control and manipulate and limit? human freedom and limit human, human potential. Absolutely. They did that. I mean, I mean, the writing on the wall was so clearly there and the timing as well. If you think about from an Orwellian standpoint. So we went from fighting this invisible Mm -hmm. war against the terrorists right on the Mm -hmm. other side of the planet for 20 years. When did Biden finally pull the United States and NATO allies out of Afghanistan? It was in 2020. And then all of a sudden, this next imaginary boogeyman, Mm -hmm. even more uh, difficult to pinpoint the invisible virus enemy comes along that suddenly we have to raise taxes. Suddenly we have to spend all this money to fight this, you know, this next uh, this next boogeyman, if you will. So so absolutely. This was a drain on our collective potential. There were those who took advantage of this to try to suppress human potential and and, uh, corral the population in a certain way. But I think it's also important for us to remember, just as I said, I worked with a number of well-meaning individuals in the military who I'm still friends with and still in touch with and could call people that I would trust. I think within this COVID umbrella, there were many, many well meaning individuals who genuinely were concerned with trying to protect human health, you know, genuinely were concerned um, with the welfare of us all as a species. And I think a lot of them got manipulated, a lot of them got sort of pushed in one direction, using their energy in a way that maybe was not the best uh, for us ultimately. But I, I just think it's important for us to balance, you know, it, it's very rarely all negative. There can be a lot of negative, And I think that that ultimate control of it certainly was negative, but uh, a lot of well-meaning individuals in there as well.
1: Yeah. There's one of my favorite things from uh, Thomas Soa, a student for Milton Friedman. And one of my favorite things he always focuses on is he, we have to, as individuals or as a society, we have to stop focusing on intent and we have to start focusing on outcome. Because outcome tells us which actions actually produce what we want. And intent just gives us a sense of direction, but it doesn't actually tell us what the outcome will be. And I feel like COVID as a whole was a response based on intent. A lot of it was intent and a lot of it was good intent, but a lot of risk and consequences were not discussed and ignored and tossed aside or placed as some, like, for example, doctors saying the economy is not important. We can prepare it after. Uh, that's a very ignorant statement to claim. It's not like, you know, people need to eat and work and take care of themselves. These are all based on economic realities. They're not based on your your, your books or they're not based on your, uh, your hospital. These are based on human potential to produce and satisfy their needs. So, you know, intent versus outcome. So, and I think that we kind of blurred that line and we need to channel intent and make it, Understand that if we want our outcomes to be better, we need to channel that intent to be better aligned with outcomes so that we can actually spear every time there's an issue, we can spear it head on and actually make it be productive in trying to solve it rather than falling apart and trying to solve it and not actually solving it and then making worse problems down the line that we then have to repeat the same cycles over and over.
2: I agree with you. I, I really do. Uh, you know, we we cannot forget the mistakes that were made during COVID. Um, you know, it's 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 a question of how much do we excuse some of the bad behavior from from some of the actors who were who were trying to do good versus not. And and it's it's a question. You know, I'm not saying I have the answer either. Uh, it it needs to be discussed. And and just you know, I'll give you one example on a personal level. Uh, my mother passed away during the COVID window about two years ago, not of COVID, of something separate. But because it was during that window, when she was in her in her final um, um, care facility before passing away, they would not let more than two of us in Mm -hmm. to see her at a time. And so I had my whole family there, my extended family, we wanted to be with her, you know, and, and they would not let us. It's like they would have called the police. We would have gotten arrested if we were all. So we had to do all sorts of crazy things. I mean, my brother even snuck into the hospital one time to see her. I mean, how how insane is that if you think about it? So I will never uh, I, I will never forgive those people who who placed. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: Extra hardships. Yeah.
2: yeah, these these rules, the, these static rules, you know, that were not based on really anything logical um I, I will i will not forgive them for that um for for my mother um but I, I think we should try to arrive at a best solution going forward and part of that is these discussions you know these dialogues
0: sorry for your loss by the way um i know it's not easy um but yeah like it, it was pretty ridiculous like i i do remember um, even just going to like, I had to go see my physio and they were just like, you need to wear a mask. You need to wear a mask. And I'm just like, guys, we've been living with this for two years. We're all quote vaccinated, apparently. So like, what do we have to worry about? The so,
1: funniest was wrestling. You saw wrestling where they, you'd have to go in with a mask. You couldn't shake hands. And then the moment you take it off, you start wrestling. But to like,
0: it, it was I, almost it was almost <laughs> like up was down and down was up yeah, during that you know, time period. It. Like it
1: was just really strange
0: what was going on, but like people were just buying into it, yeah, yeah. which which was kind of flabbergasting in 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 my own way. So anyway, it's just again it's an example of how they implemented these you know tactics of fear to really just control society. So. Um, really crazy stuff. I want to f- I want to shift the conversation now more onto like the technical side because that's really like your bread mm-hmm. and butter. Um, again, it ties into everything we just talked about. Yeah, so because
1: it sets the base, it sets the the base for everything that's playing out right now in terms of the precious metals and gold and yes. the, the 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 abuse of the fiat system. Like the last three years, it was just setting a massive base for this. Yeah. And, like
0: We we saw what happened with gold. I mean, it's it's hitting that hard resistance of an all time high, and honestly, the only reason why it keeps, in my opinion, keeps being suppressed down is because more and more derivatives contracts are just being printed to suppress that, and that's where the manipulation is. So, what are you seeing right now uh, on that side, and like you know, what uh, how are you positioned in in this market right now?
2: Yeah, um, listen, we we can never say. Uh, anything with hundred percent when we talk about the markets Uh, but this is as good of a setup as we could possibly ask for in the precious metals markets right here. Uh, There's a little trick that I've learned with respect to any market, which is that triple tops really don't exist in the markets. And so you look at gold here going back for the last three years and it's bumped up against this 2,075. We've just seen the third time here, uh, two weeks ago, you know, this range around 2,050 to 2,075, that's the third time triple top. No, it's, it's not going to be. So it's, it's a question of time right now, uh, in our, In my work with subscribers and individual investors, I had been alerting people over the last several months that this third attempt that we are seeing right now was probably not going to be successful. There's going to be some sort of a back-off. It could be very mild. It could be a little bit violent. And it looks to me, based on judging this year over the last couple of weeks from the third attempt, like it's going to continue to be very mild. Uh, what it looks to me like is we've got anywhere from another one to three months of gentle back off here in the gold market. I actually think it's possible that the low for for this back off might be in, but at an absolute worst case, I'd be looking for gold to fall back, maybe back into the mid to upper 1800s, maybe another $100 lower from where it is today. But to give you my best assessment of, of the gold market, I don't think it's going to happen. I'm watching the buying coming in here day by day. And it's just the the bids are, are coming up and up and up a couple dollars every day. It's a really nice rising channel that gold has been in here for the last uh you know, for the last four weeks. And you combine that with this, you know, this triple sort of resistance zone at 2075. Uh it's a matter of time. My best guess is that it's going to break the all-time highs uh, early this summer in the Northern Hemisphere around June, have an initial impulse up to around 2,200 or so, perhaps have a back-off throughout the mid-summer into the late summer. And then I think gold will make its way into the mid-2000 range when we're talking end of this year into the first half of 2024. uh that is what I'm looking at for the gold market. uh you know it's it's as good of a it's as good of a technical setup as we could ask for here. Um, as far as the best ways that I see to capture this move, you know, given where gold is, okay, gold is bumping up against $2,000 right now. If I'm right on that outlook, and let's say it moves into the mid-2000 range by this time next year, what are we talking about? A 25% move in, in bullion. Mm-hmm. Uh, that will be nice, especially as a, a global reserve mm-hmm. asset. Uh But unless you have millions invested in bullion alone, that's probably not going to make a huge difference as to one's ability to uh, become a sovereign individual and look around this planet with your own set of eyes and your own set of determinations and say, where do I want to live? What do I want to do with my free time? How do I want to be a human being? on planet earth, right? A 25% move in bullion is, is, is probably not going to do it. Um, I feel like there is a rare opportunity. Again, I do not mm-hmm. want to say that anything is guaranteed in the markets, but from a reward and risk standpoint, I feel like there is, uh, to use the baseball analogy, there is a fast pitch that has already left the pitcher it is coming fast and straight at us right now. And it's like, whoa, is this really coming at us? Is this really a home run pitch that's being given to us? Sometimes, um, you know, our, our the doubting side of our mind could say, no, this, this couldn't possibly be uh, a setup here that's being given to us. But when I look at specifically how am I playing this myself, what I see is this home run pitch potential. There's a strange facet in the markets right now, which is that because the Dow Jones Industrial Average, or the S&P 500, if you will, has also held up relatively well. Yes, it's off of the all-time highs by about 15 to 20% here in the recent lows. But when you look at, for example, gold and the stock market back to the major low that was set in 2015, when gold bottomed at $1,045 per ounce, the, the bottom of that bear market, and you look, okay, so gold prices have almost doubled here over the last seven years. The other thing that's happened simultaneously is that the stock market has also nearly doubled. And so because of that, you have mainstream investors that have not really felt a reason to enter the precious metals market. If the average investor who has a four hundred one k, or up in Canada you have your uh, you know your your tax free uh, uh, retirement FSA accounts, or the RSP, yep. yeah. exactly. If the average investor has basically matched the performance of gold by being invested in a an index fund, the average investor has seen no need yet to move into the precious metals. This is very strange. This is an anomaly when we look at historical precious metals bull markets. You look at the precious metals bull market in the 1970s, you know, where gold prices went up eightfold and silver went from $1.30 per ounce up to 50 dollars per ounce. the stock market was performing terribly that entire time. Major crashes were happening every couple of years. And so there was a real, uh, there was a real visible set of evidence for the average investor to say, hey, let me take 10 or 20% or all of my money and move into the precious metals. And they vastly outperformed stocks during that period of time. Same thing from the bull market from 2001 to 2011 in precious metals. You had the global financial crisis happen throughout that period. You had the NASDAQ bubble happen throughout that period. So there was a clear need to move funds into precious metals. What we've been living through here since 2015 has been an anomaly because you've had both stocks and gold rising at the same time, roughly in tandem. Yes, certain months and certain years, one has outperformed the other. But when you look as a net sum since the bottom in 2015, major bear market low following the 2011 peak, both have moved together. Uh, And because of that, we, because the average investor has not yet approached this market, the valuations on the speculative end of the precious metals sector, which are going to include silver and then the gold and the silver mining companies, they are orders of magnitude lower than where they were if we just rewind 10 years to when the metals prices were exactly the same as they are now, we're talking gold in the, you know, uh, 16, 17, 18, $1900 range and silver in the low uh, to mid 20s. When the metals prices were exactly what they were today, 10 years ago in the last cycle, you had valuations for the exact same companies that were in the range of five to 10X, In other words, like 500 to 1000% higher for the very same companies sitting on the very same assets that they're sitting on today. Companies with defined resources of gold in the ground, defined deposits of silver in the ground. I'm not even talking exploration companies. I mean, exploration is is fine and it's exciting, but to, to look one step more conservatively, valuations on these companies were five to 10x higher in the previous cycle with the same metals prices. All because the psychology of the average investor has not yet entered this sector. So as someone who is looking at this and saying, I could move into gold bullion and try to capture a 25% return if my thesis is correct over the next 12 to 18 months, Or I could look at companies that are undervalued at the current gold price by a factor of 5 to 10x, Mm -hmm. let alone if we get gold breaking out to new all-time highs, which would then see a a leverage effect happen additionally. uh, From a reward-to-risk standpoint, I think this, this home run pitch is coming right at us for a lot of these undervalued companies. And I think there's a window here of one to three months to get positioned because when gold breaks out to new all-time highs, that would be, again, I cannot use the word guarantee, but that would be the moment when the psychology begins Mm -hmm. to shift and you start to see the average investor say, hey, let me throw a 1000 or $10,000. And you multiply that times millions and millions of people Mm -hmm. starting to look at the precious metals for the first time. And, and that's when you say, boy, am I glad that I was, uh, positioned. So, the, the, so that is my, that is my investment thesis here for the next 12 to 18 months. Uh, and I will stick with it until proven otherwise.
1: But you, all you gotta do is take into account, like also add on to this is like the money supply now relative to the past cycle is remotely magnitudes higher the wealth effect is much greater. So when people are going to be competing for safe havens, there's a lot more wealth competing for the supply of gold relative to the past. Then you also have the fact that people now are aware that the government want this to happen. Like they know they have government backing these types of industries because, well, they need the commodities without it. You're not getting it no more. And then you also have the fact that some of them, they want more like domestic secured supply where they don't want the exposure to geopolitical risk factors anymore as much. So, you know, like you have, you have these momentum variables that are just building up and kind of grouping into this like output that just it, it, the, the potential is just insane here. And the fact that you've had over a decade of just malinvestments and just uninvested, uh, no desire to even touch the space, it just so many factors just makes it like, where else would I look in this entire marketplace? There's very few gaps where you just have a like a, a, an incredible amount of opportunity that can be made, that can make a ton of wealth. It's one of the there's few spaces. A,
2: there's a dry tinder setup, basically, right in front of us, and all it needs is that spark to catch, mm-hmm. and then it'll move a lot quicker than than people think. A lot of people are looking at this, and they've been lulled into a sense of complacency. You know, silver has been in the same range here for the last mm-hmm. three years, and they think it'll stay in that range forever. When things start to move, they they really move. And I'll just give a, a one anecdote here uh, mm-hmm. from my own life. You know, so as I said, I've been involved in these markets for about 15 years. And in the last cycle in 2009, 2010, I started to have a number of individuals approach me. Now, now mind you, this is before I, I was merely an investor at that point. I was not publishing research or analysis for a wider audience. I had an internal list of friends and associates that I would send my own analysis to you know, on a weekly or monthly basis but i was not publishing for the public back then in 2009 2010 i started to have then 2009 2010 i started to have oh you know a dozen or two people approach me in that window who who i would consider rather conservative mainstream investors start to say hey you know Christopher, I know you're involved in the precious metals markets. Could you help me to, you know, to make some investments in that sector for the first time? You know, People that maybe had uh, $20,000 to their name, and they said, I wanna put half of that into the precious metals, right? That, that's, a, that's a big commitment for, mm-hmm. for individuals. Um, so I started to have a couple dozen people approaching me in that window, asking for that kind of guidance. In this window that we've been in here, I think I've had two people approach me for, for that kind of guidance who know, and, and they know what I do. And I'm much more public about it these mm-hmm. days. So that's simply an anecdote to show you the average person, it has not happened yet. The average mm-hmm. person is really only tangentially, slightly aware of, of this here.
0: I think that's what makes it so fascinating because this has always been the contrarian trade for the longest time. And it's I think I think it's only a matter of time at this point before it becomes so mainstream. Right. And that's usually when, like to your point, that's when the psychology starts taking over. And then you have this scenario where you know the cab driver is talking about gold. You have like the whole Bitcoin phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Will, will it will it ever see that kind of a rally? I don't know. Um, we've talked to a lot of people um who who felt like that could be the
1: case. Um maybe and they so much like- also on the silver side also.
0: Yeah, well silver because silver has obviously leveraged the price of gold as well. Yeah. But it's 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 so fascinating to see that this inflection point is literally, like you said, it's right in front of us. There's that home run pitch that's coming right at you, and you know you're gonna hit, like you're gonna hit, like dead center to the bat, go into like the grandstands right away. So, I love that analogy. Um, But yeah, the miners. You, you at
2: least, you at least have to step up to the plate, mm-hmm. and exactly. Take a swing right now.
0: Yeah, you it's... can't, you
2: can't fault yourself for for doing that.
0: <laughs> and I don't like... think. Yeah, I was, I was just gonna say, like that's why, like there's like. It's you're sprinkling bets a little bit. You don't want to go too aggressive, but unless you're a crazy person who understands and has like a crystal ball to drilling of, of gold, go ahead. Uh, but no, it, I, I'm I'm excited for it because it is the ultimate contrarian trade. And to be honest, I think when you're buying gold and you're long gold, it's it's a bet against everything that we talked about at the beginning. It's like this is where society. It's a bet against the government, right? Like that's, that's ultimately what this is, right? Well, Rick
1: Rule always says, right. He says gold is, uh, is basically the inverse of the stupidity of the people. That's very good.
2: That's very, very accurate. Yep. And, (laughs) and especially, you know, especially the, uh, the central planners, you know, to, to define it even more narrow, it even more. Yeah. You know, their, their attempts to hold back our potential gold, uh, gold stands in the way of that. Gold mm. bulldozes over that.
1: How do you like to? How do you like to play the space, or how have you been playing the space?
2: I I do a combination of things. Uh, I think it's important for investors, especially if you're new to the sector, to have a, a core holding in physical bullion that's either in your own possession, or if that's not feasible, you know, at least held outside the banking system uh, in some direction. So so I work with some investors who are just approaching it for the first time. Um, you know, and and I think that's a good place for people to start. You, you want to have enough of a core holding. I consider that to be an emergency savings account, you know, a, a mm-hmm. real savings account that should rise in value over the coming years. Um, you know, but something that is always there for you in case of an emergency. Mm-hmm. Um, and then beyond that, it's it's really an individual question. It's how much risk tolerance do you have? You know what is your commitment for capital for other needs going forward um, me myself uh, i do a combination of things i do some trading in the futures and the options markets um, i have no problem dabbling in the paper markets i know they get a bad name but uh, you know when you get a trade that makes you 10x mm-hmm. and then you take those profits and go out and buy 10 times mm-hmm. the amount of bullion that you would be able to buy you know you, you might see it in a slightly different way uh, and then the mining sector i consider more to be long term leverage to the metals you don't have to be right on the timing as precisely mm-hmm. as let's say in the futures or the options markets and of course then the mining sector has its own set of uh, you know of of reward potentials companies can have individual uh, you know happenings that that cause them to rise irrespective of the metals price. Of course that can work on the way on the way lower as well. Uh, these days I'm involved in quite a number of financings for companies. so we raise money for companies that are going to participate in drill programs or they're looking to let's say, uh, publish an initial resource estimate for the first time. you know, if a company only has drill results, that's encouraging. But do we really know what that means from an economic standpoint? Or how many, how many millions of ounces of gold or silver do the drill results equate to? So I come together, we gather a group of investors, we raise a couple million dollars for these companies, and we say, hey, go out and publish the study. Go out, show us how many ounces of gold you reasonably expect according to the official published standards uh, actually exist below the ground, and then if that is successful, you can see a significant re-rating of the company's stock value, even if the metals themselves are, are moving sideways, because the company has moved from an inferred resource, let's say, to a, a measured and indicated resource or one of the next uh, levels. So so those are the primary ways. All, all of the above are the ways that I participate in, in this market.
1: Is there I, think, I, think
0: that? I, I think it's just, honestly, it's heating up because... Um, you know, again, it's only a matter of time. But have you found even raising money in this market for some of these names, like to, on a scale of one to ten, like what's what's sort of the level of challenge? Like ten being like it's been impossible. One, it's like no, it's been relatively easy. Like, what what do you think? Mm.
2: Um, we're probably probably about a three. You know, three, three and a half. Uh, so it's still it, it's still not easy. Um, you know we can raise money for the right, the right situation, the right company and the right jurisdiction, um, but it still takes effort. And And there are companies that are unable to raise money in this environment. Mm-hmm. So I'm not seeing, for example, the, the type of psychology that will exist near a top in these markets, which I think investors should always be looking one step ahead, uh, you know, Yes, we have this home run pitch coming fast right toward us at this exact moment in time. But even as you're focusing on that, you should allocate part of your mind to thinking one giant step ahead. So 12 months from now, 18 months from now, two years from now, three years from now, whenever it's going to be, there's going to be a top in this market as well. And there are a number of things that investors would want to do to, to start to look at the uh, the possibilities of, of a top coming into place. One of those things is psychology of the markets. One of the ways that we can gauge psychology in the markets is how easy is it for these companies to raise money. If a company that has nothing but moose pasture is able to raise $5 million simply because they've recently changed their name from, you know, uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, ABC uh, Natural Gas Company to ABC Gold Company. Suddenly, we're doing a five million dollar financing, and everyone's like, "Get me in, get me in." That's probably a sign that we're within six months of a major top in these markets. So, I'm I'm serious. You know, look out for that kind of psychology within the next few years. Uh, right now, we don't see that psychology, so I suspect we're still you know, we're still in the ramp up to a more healthy move here coming.
1: And also to step outside of the precious metal space a bit, like are there other commodities you typically like to touch, other type of equities or other type of assets that you like to invest in?
2: Yeah, I am open to uh, the full range of, of hard assets. Once you develop a skill set for for evaluating risk versus reward in, in one commodity, a lot of that uh, can be transitioned to other commodities, especially if you're, if you approach it the way that I do, which I believe to be unique in this industry, which is I start with the chart. I start with the company chart. I can look at a chart and within five seconds tell you whether or not I will consider investing in that company. Um, I rarely would make a decision from the chart alone, but I can weed out 90% of the candidates just from looking at the chart. Um, you know, then once I have a chart that passes several tests, I go in and research fundamentals, make sure everything aligns, research financials, speak with company management, speak with other investors, etc. etc. Um, but just back to your original question, do I, you know, consider other commodities? Yes, because. The common link is that a chart is a chart. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter whether it's a uranium company, a copper company, a silver company, or a gold company. The same chart pattern will appear when it's a high reward to risk candidate, which is what you always want to choose. You never want to choose anything else other than a high reward to risk candidate. And there are signatures for companies that fit that profile as to how their stock will be trading over time relative to major lows that have been established over the preceding years and relative to major highs uh, over the preceding years. So yes, I, I'm, I'm uh, you know open to all of the above. We have done some investments into uranium companies. We've done some polymetal investments. You know There are a lot of companies, I mean, silver is mostly mined as a byproduct of mm-hmm. base metal mining. So a lot of times when you're looking at silver companies, you're really getting exposure to copper, lead, zinc, even some gold in there. You know, you, you want to pay attention to that. That happens as well. I'm open to the energy uh, industry. But right now, I, I, I strongly feel like, you know, again, if, if I'm repeating myself too much, excuse me, but I, I strongly feel like this pitch is mm-hmm. coming literally right at us it's, it's it's already left the pitcher's hand and these kinds of things may only come around once every five to ten years mm-hmm. my personal plan here and for the investors that i represent is we're trying to extract as much of this move in the precious metals as possible let's say over the next 12 to 24 months and when that happens and then we get the next top because everything is cyclical we will take a lot off the table and we will be doing hard looks at other commodities. At that time. Right now, I, I really want to extract as much as I can out of this setup.
0: Get the duck, get the ducks in order, and then capitalize on it. It's really exciting, man. Um, I just want to make sure the, the good use of time here. But um, you know, your your website there, um, you know, igoldadvisor.com, Um Where can the where else can the the listeners find you? Because there's so much good content out there. And again, I'm looking at a chart of like a silver company right now. And the setup too is perfect, so it's like, you know, the stars are aligning, to say the least. But yeah, um, where where can the listeners uh, find you, Christopher?
2: Yeah, thanks very much, Dan. Uh, so the website is iGoldAdvisor.com. We we have a service uh, both for open market investors, uh, as well as for high net worth investors that would like to participate in these private placement financings alongside of us. I put my own money into every single one of these deals. Um, other places, if you just want to check out the free content that I publish, uh, I Gold Advisor on YouTube and Twitter is the handle iGlobalGold on on Twitter.
0: I mean, it's we're we're gonna definitely have you back on, and I have a feeling that we're gonna our, our, our investment portfolios are gonna be a lot thicker um, when we do when we do have a second conversation. But yeah, lots to pay attention to right now um and you know what i think at the end of the day it just comes down to just being prepared and kind of going against the grain sometimes even though that Mm -hmm. grain is about to coin flip and then the masses are going to start looking at this stuff too right
2: i mean this is as best of a setup as we could ask for right now yeah
1: yeah especially people just not caring like for me i don't mind waiting because it's like i'd rather be patient take my time to figure out my plays you know being we're, uh, we're also pretty young so it's like I'm in no rush. And then when that rush does happen, I can then sit back and then be like, okay, I can reallocate or restructure my portfolio based on what starts to move, what doesn't, what's working, what's not working. And I'm not trying to just rush in out of foam or hype. I've already set my base up. You know, uh,
2: but Nick, that patience that you're talking about having, you would be surprised how many, uh, how many people do not share that quality. Mm -hmm. Um, and that actually creates incredible opportunities in this sector. It's it's one of the reasons why I like this sector because what you will have is in periods like this, silver is a, a great example right now. If I pull up my silver chart, mm-hmm. um, you know, as a net sum, uh silver has been in the same price range here for the last 3 years, you know, since since mid 2020 as a net sum. And there've been some oscillations along the way and it's been in a Over the last two years, it's been like a downward grind, you know, with a lot of overlapping waves, but net sum, same price, right? So no difference in the price, but the valuations of these companies that are, let's say, mining for silver, even the ones that are producing silver and their profits are basically the same as they Mm -hmm. were three years ago. Because the average investor doesn't have the patience that you're talking about, and when silver itself simply moves sideways you see many investors get frustrated Mm -hmm. and say well if silver is moving sideways there's nothing really that excites me here so let me just sell because of that dynamic you have the valuations in these these silver mining companies that have come down significantly from where they were even just three years ago with the same metals prices and so if you believe that that psychology will shift again and that values should revert to their mean I, I would simply suggest that that dynamic offers investors an opportunity.
1: Yeah, undoubtedly, it's 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 crazy.
0: We like to say uh, patience, but P A Y and then shins, right? You got to sit on your laurels and just kind of wait for the move to happen. But no, there it's it's crazy. The the writing has been on the wall for I would say the last six months, even. But if you knew the macro story which we i think all three of us here understand i mean this is what we've been waiting for and now you're going to the chart and the chart's telling you okay time to place your bets here let's like the the the, the pitch is on the way so it's really interesting so uh but yeah christopher we'd love to have you back on um this is gonna be an exciting uh, couple months here but uh yeah in the meantime uh you know we want to wish you uh Good luck out there but we'll definitely have you on in the next few months here once this move does happen
2: thank you so much guys for having me i'd love to be on again and i just want to encourage everyone listening to uh think about this from a bigger picture standpoint as to uh you know this is one of those opportunities to establish your own your own sovereignty on the yep. planet you know I, th- I think that's what it's ultimately about and you know there will be other opportunities in the future but we have one here right in front of mm-hmm. us so um it'd be nice for people to change their their possibilities in life here over the next couple of years
1: absolutely
0: amen to that <laughs> we'll see you next time guys on the new gen mindset podcast thank you guys Ciao.